This is the Thorn Podcast, the show that navigates the complex world of wellness and explores the latest science behind diet, supplements, and lifestyle approaches to good health. I'm Dr. Robert Roundtree, Chief Medical Advisor at Thorne and Functional Medicine Doctor. And I'm Dr. Frank Lipman, New York Times bestseller and Functional Medicine Doctor. As a reminder, the recommendations made in this podcast are the recommendations of the individuals who express them and not the recommendations of Thorne. Statements in this podcast have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. Any products mentioned are not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Hi folks, welcome to the Bob and Frank show. So I'm really excited to do this because Bob is not only one of the nicest people I know, but one of the smartest people I know. And uh, Bob, it's always great to chat to you. Yes, you too, Frank. Before we get into the topic, I mean, you're out west and you've had a lot of fires out there. How's the air? How are things out west? Well, the air's not bad today. You can see the mountains, which is a good thing, and and you can walk around without coughing. They're predicting it's going to get smoky in the afternoon. We we have a fire that's not that far from here that's been burning for over a month, um, just nor- north of Rocky Mountain National Park, and that's that's the cause of concern around here. So, you know, it's been pretty dicey for the last few weeks, uh, but fortunately today it's breathable. Yikes! It's you know it's a concern. It's like you're you're forced to smoke cigarettes. Yeah, it's a big concern, and especially you know we t- we want to talk today about aging, and to me this whole climate change, inflammation of the planet, uh, it's the same as the aging of the planet. So we you know that's yes that's the macrocosm which we're ha- going to have to talk about some day and how it affects us but let's like jump into the topic um the microcosm and aging and you know i want to start asking you because you did a talk a year or two or i can't remember how long ago um a fantastic talk on aging where you went through a lot of the physiology and a lot of the biochemistry and the mechanisms and what nutrients and even drugs affect what pathways and i found that quite fascinating and and that's what I love about you. You take a concept and you you, you dig into the biochemistry. And uh, you you brought up a lot of interesting, you know, supplements in particular. I mean, there were a lot, it was a lot of stuff when we'll talk about it. But let's start talking about some of the supplements or the nutrients that actually affect some of these pathways. Because, you know, both you and I are aging well, everyone's aging, but we've got to a stage where we've got to take it a little bit more seriously. Um, I mean, that's why I got into the whole anti-aging thing is, you know, as you aging, you want to stay as young as vi- and vital as possible. So I loved your talk because you brought up and explained a lot of those pathways and and, and what, you know, lifestyle changes and, and, and what supplements affected them. So why don't we kick that off with you sort of giving a little bit of a rundown on some of those pathways. Well, I, I think um, it, it starts on this kind of bigger level, obvious level is, uh, are there things that we do that help us live longer and there are things that we do that speed up aging? Um, so that's where the, the biochemistry comes from is, 
is we know that there's certain things that will accelerate aging. We know, for example, that cigarette smoking, um, you know, which I was alluding to in the context of the fires, which is basically like smoking, is cigarette smoking is one of the worst things that a person could do if they want to speed up aging. So you have to ask, well, what's the question, uh, what's the issue uh, that's brought up by cigarette smoking? And that's something called oxidative stress. Um, and so that's the, the first kind of major pathway that we know that's involved in aging. So for, for people that don't know what that is, um, most uh, electrons in our in stable molecules in our body are paired, um, meaning that, you know, they're not going to be very reactive. If you take one of those electrons off, then you get a very reactive compound that will start damaging surrounding compounds, especially if they're fat. So people are more uh, uh, aware of this in the context of, of, of rancid fats. So a rancid fat is is a result of exposure to free radicals. Well, the very process of breathing, breathing in oxygen, creates free radicals. So we're, we make free radicals throughout our lifetime. And we have these pretty good defense systems that our body makes, these enzymes that fight off those free radicals. But over time, those free radicals accumulate and they damage tissues. In particular, they damage the DNA in our cells that are involved in the, in the reproduction of cells and, and making more and more healthy cells. And especially they damage the mitochondria, which are the areas that, that you know, are taking in that oxygen. Uh, they're, they're, little, um, they're little tiny furnaces inside of our cells. You know, we have typically hundreds of them inside of our cells. And where do we have the most is in, in heart cells, muscle cells, and brain cells. So those are areas that show signs of, da- of, of aging from that damage more than anything else. So this theory kind of got started by a guy named Denham Harmon. He called it the free radical theory of aging. And the, the kind of general notion was these free radicals accumulate over time. And that damages tissue and tissues break down. And that's what aging is all about. It turns out it's a little bit more nuanced than that. Definitely so. Yeah. Um, the problem is that, that we... Yeah, we need a few free radicals. Right. We, you know, some free radicals are good for you. And another part that's that's so nuanced is realizing that simply taking basic antioxidants that neutralize those free radicals don't seem to prolong aging. So what would those chemicals be? Vitamin C, vitamin E, uh, zinc. It's not, I'm not saying those are, they're harmful to you, but they don't have the antioxidant effect that we thought, so they don't slow down aging, you know, the way the initial theory went. And there have been a number of, of medical studies that looked at that and said, well, wait a minute, we, we're we barking up the wrong tree. We made a mistake. Maybe Denham Harmon made a mistake. Um, it turns out he didn't make a mistake, um, but the, the fact is there's a continuum. So some free radicals are good for you. And we all need them. And, but a lot of free radicals are clearly bad. Nobody has changed that. So, you know, the free radicals you get from cigarette smoking or forest fires or 
or toxic chemicals like arsenic, you know, that that's pretty high up on the list of things that, that speed up aging. And so, well, what does that leave us in terms of things we can take? It turns out that there's a certain group of chemicals that you find in plants like green tea, broccoli, uh, turmeric, uh, a chemical called resveratrol that you find in red wine, grapes. Um, these things, if you use them in super high doses, they are antioxidants, but in smaller doses, like the amount you would get in, in your diet, they actually activate the body's antioxidant defenses. And that turns to be beneficial. Right. So it what it does is it keeps the free radical stress at bay. It doesn't eliminate it like high doses of vitamin C or E would eliminate it. It doesn't. The idea is not to eliminate the free radicals, but to keep them kind of at a low burn. And that low burn uh, is actually ideal. The body likes that. The body likes a little bit of stress um, and that. That concept is called hormesis, and I'm you, you've written about hormesis in your book. So maybe you want to talk a little bit about how things that are stressful are good for you. You know, like HIIT, right. or jumping in cold water. Exactly. You know, enough to make certain parts of your anatomy shrink. <laughs> <laughs> no, I think that's that's an important thing. You know, what I find fascinating about medicine in general and aging now in, in particular because I'm obviously pretty obsessed about it is you know so much of what I learned from from Chinese medicine or from my Chinese medicine teachers or from a that way of thinking about health and the body um, let's just call it ancient wisdom I just find it fascinating how much of the ancient wisdom and how much they talked about certain things that were healthy for you um, we're sort of now finding out, you know, now that we're measuring things, are actually pretty good for you. Um, so, you know, let's talk about hormesis for, for one sec. You know, hormesis, as Bob said, is basically a little bit of stress is good for the body. What doesn't kill you makes you stronger, basically. And, uh, you know, chronic stress is bad for you, but a little bit of stress is good for you. And, and that's where you, know, you mentioned um, high-intensity interval training, cold and hot extremes. You know, I'm a major sauna fan, and then I jump into a cold pool. And I, um, things like that are particularly good. And, and that's where fasting comes in. You know, fasting is basically a form of nutritional um, hormesis. And, you know, you mentioned earlier about um, cleaning, you know, the cells and and the, the mitochondria and you know fasting you know and, and now that I'm, I'm fasting myself more and um, using it more on my patients and then monitoring you know their bloods I'm unbelievably surprised and impressed at the effects that people are getting with some fasting how their numbers changed you know what a positive impact it has on someone's biochemistry that we can actually measure now so I love this new sort of interface between this old wisdom um, and, you know, modern medicine where we can actually measure a lot of this stuff. So hormesis is extremely powerful and fasting as a, as a mechanism of hormesis I find to, to be particularly uh, powerful. 
um, so what you know the 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 whole idea now, of is is there a particular what's your favorite form of fasting? Well, the the easiest way of fasting is just you know, time restricted eating. You know, I just don't eat for sixteen hours, and that's what we've been doing with my patients. But you know, I'm I'm now sort of putting my toes into you know if people are open to it a little bit more. And the other one that we've been doing a lot of is a fasting mimicking diet that uh, we put people on. We used to use the the Prolon MD. But, you know, now, you know, my health coach came up with, you know, soup and salads and, you know, counted the calories and everything and, you know, hardly, very low um, carb, low calorie and, and no animal protein. So we've actually been recommending if people want to do it themselves, just making their soup and salads for five days. And interestingly enough, we're getting as powerful results from the five days of fasting mimicking diet as people doing time restricted eating. I don't have experience yet of people doing, you know, 24-hour fasting or alternate day or longer fast, but I would imagine the effects are, are good too. But the easiest ways are doing these fasting mimicking diet for five days a month or time-restricted eating. I mean, I think most people seem to find it fairly easy and it's doable and it's practical for people to do it. So, you know, that's always important with with patients if you know if it's not practical and they're not going to do it then what the hell so uh, I've just seen incredible results you know we've been doing a lot of you know um, advanced lipid profiles and and the numbers that the changes are pretty incredible you know for you know advanced lipid profiles the hemoglobin a1c's and just a lot of these biomarkers are, are changing and just after three months three to six months which is quite incredible when you think of it you know how how long it's taken to build up disease whatever in the body and then you do you know you get into habits like this which aren't so difficult and how powerful the body is that it can turn around fairly quickly i mean what's been what's been your experience bob yeah i um i recommend time restricted feeding a lot to people um i uh, I find that most people can do at least 12 hours overnight without eating. Right. So I usually start there. You know, as soon as I mention fasting, people's uh, people's pupils tend to dilate. And, uh, you know, they, they, they just get this funny kind of glazed over look and they say, oh, I, there's no way I can do that. And I say, well, how long do you usually go between dinner and breakfast? Exactly. You know, and and most people are surprised that they're actually going a pretty long period of time already. So I say just extend that out to 12 hours. Yep. Go to 12. And then once you can do 12 easily, a few nights oh, a what, week. Yeah, that's what I do, too. Yep. And go to 14. Yep. Then go to 14. And I think the data shows that you really start to get your benefits somewhere around 14 hours. So, I, uh, you know, I tell people that 12 hours is to kind of get you used to the habit and get you into it. Um, but you're not really going to see the benefits in terms of your numbers, you know, the right. weight and what are the benefits? We see weight loss, lipids get better. And in particular, the long-term marker of blood sugar, hemoglobin A1C, that that will really drop if people can consistently go 14 and ideally up to 16 hours. So, you know, that's the the group of people that benefit most from this uh, overnight fasting um, or time-restricted feeding are pre-diabetics and diabetics. 
And incidentally, that's the group that when you know when I was saying there's we we look at the big areas that accelerate aging. Number one is being exposed to cigarette smoke and things that induce oxidative stress. Number two is blood sugar. Is right. you know any kind of blood sugar problem is guaranteed to accelerate aging. And so, you know, we want to control blood sugar at all costs. And again, the, this time-restricted feeding is interesting because there's data that show that independent of calorie restriction, yeah, that, that changing the time interval what you eat seems to have an impact on physiology. So it... And, I think that hormetic effect, that stressful effect, I think you hit that peak somewhere around 14 plus overnight hours without eating is the body kicks into a survival mode. Yep. And that may be partly induced by activating something called mTOR or the, the, the mechanistic target of rapamycin, sometimes called the mammalian target of rapamycin. So the interesting thing about Walter Longo's work in, in putting together that uh, fasting mimicking diet is he came up to the conclusion that it wasn't just restricting calories, but it was restricting protein and restrict, restricting a specific amino acid called leucine. Yep. And so, you know, when, I, I was really interested when you said, well, you found a way to hack that diet, you know, without people having to buy the formal program. And it sounded like you're doing a lot of salads and things like that. So it's, it's going to be a low protein diet. So it's not just restricting total calories it's something to do with the amino acids because leucine activates mTOR and mTOR accelerates aging mTOR is a pathway involved in growth and reproduction and you need it when you're young that's why you get these kids that can go skiing down you know triple moguls and fall and break every bone in their body and heal in two weeks and you get, you know, a 60-year-old codgers that, that go around a curve too fast and have sprained something or torn something, and it takes months to heal, right? It's because that mTOR pathway is not as, as active. But it turns out when you modulate mTOR, it prolongs life. Right. Okay. So, yeah, I think that the whole mTOR issue is interesting because, you know, I see these pathways as longevity genes and you know a lot of the longevity genes you want to stimulate like ampk but mTOR is the one when we get to 50-ish you know when we you know the 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 time of our life where we don't want to grow and and reproduce etc we want to inhibit that mTOR pathway and um you know, as you say, the, the animal protein, the leucine, the branch chain amino acids seem to stimulate the mTOR. So, um, you know, I've, for instance, I used to eat much more animal protein um, in the old days. Now that I know some of this biochemistry and physiology, I've cut way back on my animal protein. It's not that I don't eat it anymore, but um, because of, of this mTOR pathway and the aging process, I've cut back on um, animal protein, so it's it's interesting because the politics of um, of uh, a paleo diet and a vegan diet, and I mean, I see the the problems with both of them. I mean, I see the nutritional deficiencies with so many vegans. I've just saw one this week who anyway had s severe problems, um, and I always believe that a 
paleo diet was a, a much better diet for most people. But now I've sort of come to the place with myself included and most of my older patients to say, hey, well, yes, keep the sugars, you know, carbs low, but you've got to watch too much animal protein as you get older. Much to the chagrin of, you know, the 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 the, the paleo political party. <laughs> what, what, what do you say there, Bob? Yeah, I mean, I, I, you know, I heard Colin Campbell speak a number of years ago, and he said that animal protein is basically the cause of all ills known to humankind. Uh, you know, based on this, his work in China, um, people came back later and and said, well, he cherry picked his data, and you know, that's not entirely true. And and I have seen plenty of vegetarians that have gotten cancer. You know, so. Being vegetarian isn't the answer, but I definitely uh, have concerns about people that say, well, the all carnivore diet is the answer. Um, right. You know, I think it's somewhere in between. I mean, I, uh, I'm i not. Yep. I, so I'm not advocating. I'm not saying you got to be a strict vegetarian or that if you are strict vegetarian, you'll live longer. But, you know, there's there's no question that what Michael Pollan said about eating more plants uh, is the way to go, you know, is, is to have a, uh, a primarily plant-based diet that's supplemented with animal protein. Uh, I, I think that makes sense in terms of this mTOR pathway. And I agree a hundred percent. I'm also not telling people not to have any animal protein, but I do think there's somewhere in between that works is probably the best thing as, as we get older. But, you know, you, you let's talk about something interesting in terms of plants because the whole hormesis effect on plants is the, the, the whole concept of plants having phytonutrients. And certain plants that are stressed more actually have higher levels of phytonutrients. So that would be the whole hormesis concept working with plants too. You know, they... they the, Plants develop these phytonutrients to protect themselves after they stressed a little bit, and you know one of the reasons why growing them organically would is is better, and they'll have higher phytonutrients than being sprayed with all the crap that we spray them. Would you agree with that? <laughs> yes, I I a hundred percent agree. Um, I think there, there's actually a word for those uh, phytonutrients that are produced under stress. And they're called phytoalexins. And the, the classic phytoalexin is a chemical called a glucosinolate that's found in brassica vegetables. So, you know, the, the notion is that if an insect bites into uh, a broccoli stalk or a broccoli floret, then a, uh, an enzyme called myrosinase is released by the plant and that activates this glucosinolate to produce a secondary chemical called an isothiocyanate. And that isothiocyanate is an insecticide. Right. So you would think, oh, well, I don't know if that's a good thing, but it turns out that we've evolved eating these plants yep. over you know long periods of time. And what happens is when we ingest these plant-based insecticides, then it actually stimulates our own antioxidant defense mechanisms. So it, it's it's good for us to eat these stress chemicals made by plants. So it's it's good for us to for the plants to be stressed, and and as you mentioned, when you spray them with pesticides, 
they don't have the same need to make these. Right, which which goes back to my original point that you know the wisdom of nature. Um, you know, we mess so much with nature. You, you seeing the effects on the west coast with, you know, the the, the fires. Um, but we so arrogant as human beings, and we do, you know, what what the way we spray our plants, what we do to our food, and I think the wisdom of nature and a lot of the ancient wisdom. There are all these mechanisms that are built in to protect us and to make us stronger and to help us age well. Okay, uh, we're going to take a short break and we're going to be back with a question. Want to stay up to date on the latest nutritional and wellness news? Then head over to thorn.com and visit Take 5 Daily to sign up to have free wellness content delivered directly to your inbox. You'll get access to news, videos, and other expert insights covering everything from immune health, diet, and lifestyle advice, and the latest wellness research in an easy-to-digest format. Visit thorn.com to learn more. That's T-H-O-R-N-E.com. Okay, folks, we're back. Now it's time to answer a question from the community. Our question this week comes from listener Suj4055 on Instagram. And the question is, I'm having serious trouble keeping up my muscle tone post-menopause. Could it be hormone-related? So I'm going to give a quick answer then. This is a very interesting question. So, Bob, I really would hear, I'd like to hear your take because not a simple answer. So the interesting thing, you know, we, we talked a little bit about animal protein and plant protein. Um, and, and my feeling is most of us get enough protein probably from, you know, 20 to 40 or 50. We don't have to really worry about protein. Um, and then, as I recommend, when people get to their 50s to cut back on their animal protein, I think one has to be careful because I'm, you know, you see a lot more people, especially in their fifties and sixties, start losing muscle mass. It's called sarcopenia. So you really need to start increasing your protein. Now the question is actually about muscle tone and could it be hormonal related? Yeah, I do think there's an aspect of hormones and the sex hormones that are affecting your muscle tone, but. The question of protein as we get into our 60s is a very interesting question because how do you increase your protein, which I think you should probably if you're starting to lose muscle mass. Obviously, you want to exercise and you may need, you know, depending on your blood levels, you know, bioidentical hormone replacement could be a, a, a one way of addressing some of that too. But Bob, how do you address that whole protein question with people who developing some sarcopenia or, or some muscle loss as they get older? Okay, well, uh, the first thing I'd say is that, you know, her question was, is this hormone related? And I would say, well, absolutely. But this happens to men too. Men have sarcopenia. So this is, it's a, you know, it's not a gender specific issue. So even if it's related to the loss of estrogen, 
what about men? So there's got to be a bigger picture here of, you know, why do we have this muscle wasting? And, you know, the paradox is one of the best things that you can take to prevent that sarcopenia is a supplement called hydroxymethylbutyrate, HMB, which basically prevents the breakdown of leucine in the body. And we, we were just talking about mTOR and how leucine stimulates mTOR. So that's a bit of a, uh, a paradox, whereas, you know, one hand we're saying you want to prolong aging, you want to slow down or even inhibit mTOR. Um, and one of the things that stimulates that is animal protein. At the same time, if you cut out all animal protein, then you don't have enough uh, mTOR stimulation for, for muscle growth. So it's a very finely balanced scenario. Um, and again, I don't think the, the, the blanket answer shouldn't be to say, well, everyone should be a vegetarian and that's going to solve the problem. Uh, right. You know, it's, it's got to be balanced. Um, you got to make sure you're, you're getting adequate protein. Some vegetarians don't. Um, you know, it's not enough to just eat a salad. Uh, rice and beans, sure. Uh, you know, ovo-lacto vegetarians probably don't have to worry about it, but uh, strict vegans do have to be more careful. So, but I do want to say it's not just to eat more protein and it's going to solve sarcopenia. Exactly. You do yep. need to use it or you will lose it. Yep. And, you know, my nutrition solution, not necessarily a solution, but my recommendation and what I do as well is, you know, often do a plant protein, a pea protein shake um, as yes. a way of getting more protein without having to eat too many rice and, you know, too much rice and beans because I don't want my blood sugar to, to, to go up too much. So I think a plant protein shake, whether it's hemp protein or pea protein, is often one way of, of helping that or part of that solution. Yeah, I, I totally agree. Um, I, I like, there's all kinds of mixes of pea protein. There's mushroom proteins, uh, rice pea proteins. Uh, I think they're all good. Um, you know, I, I have come to favor the, the pea proteins a lot because they seem really well tolerated. Okay, so thanks, Bob. Thanks for that. And once again, you always great to chat to you. And looking forward to the next Thorn podcast or the Bob and Frank show. Um, where I can pick <laughs> your brains and we can share some of our knowledge with all of you. Thanks for listening to the Thorn Podcast. Make sure to never miss an episode by subscribing to the show on your podcast app of choice. If you've got a health or wellness question you'd like answered, simply follow our Instagram and shoot a message to at Thorn Research. You can also learn more about the topics we discussed by visiting thorn.com and checking out the latest news, videos, and stories on Thorn's Take 5 daily blog. Once again, thanks for tuning in, and don't forget to join us next time for another episode of the Thorn Podcast.